0: Hi, it's Friday morning, speaking to you from sunny Florida, from Boca. I'm staying with Zevendina here who have redone their house to look like Caesar's Palace. The um, very kind hosts, and I'm going to hop around because I have to go in an hour to speak at some girls' school here, uh, on Parsha, which is Yisro. Uh, Very different weather and situation in Baltimore. Once again, I want to thank everybody who... Uh, sending contributions this week, it's, it helps keep our program running, but to get down the brass tax, Yisro, I remember last year I did this, it was, I think it's around the time I started, and Yisro is, uh, of course, I'm sure I must have said last year, the quintessential father-in-law story, because, you know, Moshe, at the time he married Yisro's daughter, was a nobody, he was a fugitive from, uh, running away from Pharaoh's justice, as we all know the story, and yet, then he became a big deal, and uh, Yisro shows up, and like every father-in-law, he starts criticizing him, and if you read the story very directly, Moshe, you know, says, how am I doing? And Yisro says, you're a noble tibol, you're not doing right, and what you should do is reorganize the justice system. You might ask, what justice system was there? There was no Torah given yet, this is before Sinai. at least according to many Farsham, it's before the Torah was given, this is actually the basis of the uh, statement that the uh, Parah Duma, how's it go and uh, Dinim and Shabbos was all said in Mara, you know, before they got to Hasinah, because after all, if you read the story Pashat, before the Ten Commandments, you already have all the stuff about the Mon, and the Mon has to do with Shabbos, and Friday and Shabbos and Lechem Mishnah and all that, and there was no Shabbos yet, unless you say Shabbos came earlier, and same thing with the Dinim, because they say, Kalam, how's it go? Uh, I don't have any books in front of me, but everybody was standing in front of Moshe, from morning till evening, and for Kosher Mishpah cases, and uh, that's why Yisrael told him to reorganize everything. But what Kosher Mishpah was there? The Torah wasn't given yet, unless you say that Dinim civil law was already existing in some form uh, before Matan Torah. We don't know exactly what form, but this is exactly what I'm going to talk about this morning the uh, ambiguities of the text, which uh, the older you get, is more interesting to me, plus the language, the language issues. I'll zero in one thing right now. It says in the Pasik of Darman it, I it says that that Vayishma Yisra coin midon is kosha so shem mosh yisraw, something like that. And then it says Vayikah Yisraw as uh Tsipura uh H S Mosha Achashilu Keho. I don't know why in the last couple of years I no notice I look I've noticed the uh what shall I say, the grammar grammatical um problematics Sometimes it appears in the text. Like I said, for example, last week or two weeks ago, hearts, it was some. that doesn't work in regular Hebrew. Similarly, what does it mean, that he brought Zipporah, so you usually translate after she'd been sent away? That's not true. You know Hebrew. I assume many people listen to this know basic dictum. Hany, what's literally the meaning of or the word shilucheho. that means shalo. it doesn't mean that would be with a dot in the hay, a mapik. But in Ralder it says, Shilu cheho, So that's a plural. So, was, did, she, did she get sent away twice? Multiple times? What's going on? Second of all, well, when did he send her away? When did he send her away? Uh, if you want to be technical about it, the text never says in the Chumash, that he sent her away. Rashi, which, if I remember correctly, is mainly coming from the Mechilta, says that, you know, back when, um, I, I believe it is a Mechilta, I think. Uh, which is the old uh, oldest mandrash. uh says that you know when Moshe showed up in Egypt, Aaron saw them, and Aaron said, go back, we have enough trouble with the Jews are suffering here already, what do you need to bring your wife and children into this? And that's why he sent her back. Um, that's one version. The Michal, if I recall, has two versions of Shiloha. One says he divorced her. Uh, I'm serious. That's the language... In the, uh, again, I'm going by memory, but the, I think the language... Then there is that he uh, that there were two days. One is he gave her a get, and the other was he just told her verbally, uh, you know, hit the road, because these are, this is not good for you. All of which brings into, and by the way, what does it mean to give a get before Mount Torah? I mean, that's using the language of halacha, before it existed. Uh, I just recall, that if you live in, uh, what shall I say, the uh, Walt Disney World of uh, Halachic Drush, you know, like Bionus and and all that, I remember they go to the town with this, 18th century. For some reason, uh, they had a, a flowering of the kind of literature in which you do what they call drushalachti, in which you make all the biblical characters follow the shtes of are or the achronim, you know, and you will say, you know, Moshe held like the uh, Pane Yeshua, whereas Paro held like the Mezuchachahma, that kind of what And there is a whole literature about this. I kid you not. But they say, you know, there are statements to the effect that Moshe was a kohen. If that's the case, how could he divorce his wife? The Michalta says he divorced his wife. Then how could he take her back? Because a coin can't be mahsu gushaso, you know that. And uh, then they end up saying, well, Moshe lost his kahuna. The chidah I think. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think the one who says this, uh, or something like that. That, uh, you know, Moshe lost his kahuna by uh, when he said, I don't want to be your uh, prophet. And then Hashem said, I'll get Aaron, and then Aaron becomes the coin. He ended up with that kind of stuff, you know or uh, there's a whole uh, department of literature on that, but I don't want to, don't want to do that here in sunny Florida. Uh, rather, I would rather call attention, I think, to the following. It says that Moshe sends her away uh, multiple times. Now, we don't know anything, really, about what happened with uh, Moshe and Sipor. And let me be exact what I mean. One of the most interesting ambiguities you find in the literature, in the Chumash, as Mepharshim is... What exactly was the story with Moshe um, before he became Moshe, before the burning bush? Let me put it this way. Was he idol worshiper? Uh, was he raised as a baby by his mother? Not merely as a, as a wet nurse, as a, as, as a manekes, but also she instilled in him monotheism, and perhaps when he was then uh, united with his adopted mother, which was Basparo, she too was a monotheist, which is Mistaber, and consequently Moshe, although he was a prince of Egypt, and a general in the Egyptian army and all that kind of stuff, nevertheless personally adhered to some form of monotheism, which is, you know, possible. Alternatively, not. Alternatively, Moshe went to Egyptian school, and uh, he was, you know, an idol worshiper like everybody else, until his life changed, um, it, all it says is that when he was 20 or 40 or 60, it's different opinions in the Ghazal, uh He went out to see his brethren, and he identified with their suffering. As you see, that's when he killed the Egyptian that was uh, beating up the Hebrew slave. And uh, you know, he became, a, a, as we would say today, a Jew by a, you know ethnic identification. But it doesn't mean that he already was a from guy. Or maybe I'm wrong. Now, when I say maybe I'm wrong, you see these ambiguities reflected. At least to my mind, standing here in front of this beautiful swimming pool, you see these ambigu- ambiguities reflected uh, in different opinions in the Chazal. For example, it comes to mind that when Moshe goes out to his brethren and he sees vayar ish mitzvim akish ivri he sees the Egyptian beating up a Jew. So what does it say? Vay, uh, they looked around, nobody's there. Killed the Egyptian and buried him right then and there. He knew what to do. Uh, How did he kill him? So I'm sure you know this. Some say he did it with the shem hashem. Others say he, <laughs> he took a like a, a hatchet or a trowel and smashed the guy's brains in. That's the language in the medrashava. Not to let something sell him a but He busted the guy's head, and others did it like they do in New Jersey. You know, now that's a big difference. If he used the shem hashem, that's like wow. And if he busted his head, it's like uh, you know Brooklyn, like New Jersey. So which is it? And um, each one reflects an entirely different understanding of the, uh, you know, hidden history of Moses when he was a child and the young man before he becomes the Moshe man that you and I know. Because consider this well: if Moshe, some say he was twenty when he went out to see his brothers and this story happened. If he was twenty years old and he already knew enough to kill somebody by using the Shema Shem, Hashem, what you're making a claim is that he was a I makbul. Mean, you can't just I mean think about that. Right, he used the Shem Hashem, the seventy-two letters, or whatever, whatever that means. You tell me, there was a couple here telling me that Mama had at a very young age she was like a Rosh Hashiva. That's one mahalach. Alternatively, if you say he took whatever was around to bust the guy's brains in, then that's a different thing. That he was a quote unquote a secular person. He wasn't knowledgeable at all. He had the Jewish feeling. You understand? He identified with the victim, and he brought uh, quick justice by busting the guy's head in literally but it had nothing to do with him being a from person. Now, the Pashid shot, it seems to me, in the whole book of Shmosis, the religious evolution of Moshe, which I've said many, many times. Little by little, he's introduced at the burning bush. Perhaps you might argue that he was, began to be introduced when he identified with his brethren and killed the Egyptian. But there's nothing specifically theological or religious about that, is there? Uh, but it's very Jewish, you know, the obvious Israel type thing, which if you were Hasidic, you could make a whole big cases, as the basis for becoming a Moshe, I mean, I'm serious, I don't mean to be funny, uh, or, or not, or you say, uh, you know, well, let's put it this way, and then little by little, he meets Hashem at the burning bush, and he doesn't understand exactly all the rules, and then little by little, God, you know, uh, sort of forces him to take on the job, and then he goes to Paro, and uh, like I mentioned in the past, if you look at the medical being of Eirah, you know, he doesn't know how Hashem operates. And they get in their quarrels, but little by little he gets the uh, with the plan, and then he does the ten plagues, and then he splits the Red Sea, and he gets to Mount Torah, and even beyond Mount Torah. So Moshe is learning about how the Master of the Universe operates, just like anybody would. So you and I, we know this story for a long time. So it's not fair. We, you know, we're cheating, but they didn't know it at the time they were living. All, it was like ever, little by little, we see more about God reaching his crescendo, as, I, as I've said many times. The story of the. Uh, Egel and the forgiveness of Egel Azov when Moshe says, you know, um uh, Shemel Rachamachaner Chapan Brabchasev Emes and all that, and he says Harini is Kavidecho, Hodina is Drachecho, and as Rashi famously quotes, "Tell me why the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper." Sadik Virov Rosh Atovlo. These are, you know, new echelons in theological understandings which he didn't have prior to that. Now. I'm simply pointing all that out to say we don't really know with the word K-N-O-W. We do not know what the story was with Moshe based on information in our hands now. We just have different schools of thought in the Chazal, I'm saying, and the Farshim over, you know, was Moshe A or Moshe B. Similarly, when you get to the relationship of Moshe and Sipora, you have, it seems to me, the same problem because if it's Achashilu Cheho, it means that she was sent away more than once, which seems to be Moshe got married, and then for some reason they broke up, and then she got back together with him, and then they broke up again. Some, something along those lines, right? Perhaps it was that he said, I mean, I'll make up a scenario, and I don't mean make up, but you know, a construct from the material we have, that Moshe was married to Zipporah, and then um, he has the incident of the Sneb, the burning bush, and then he says to his wife, I want to divorce you because I have to undertake a dangerous mission uh, to Egypt, and I don't know what it's going to be you know, like like the uh, soldiers in the King David's army did, they wrote a, 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 a get for the wife out of affection, not out of uh, hatred, right? The, the soldier who's writing a get for his wife said that she shouldn't be stuck to him in case he disappears. If something happened it's not doing so out of a sense of, of a hatred or a dislike, but on the contrary, he's looking out for her. So, that's what happened over here. That would be one shiluach. And then perhaps, Zipporah said, no, I want to go with you anyway, in spite of all that. And they, uh, and she accompanies him on the road until they meet Aaron, and then and then the second sending away, because Aaron said, listen, take it from me, you know, you don't want to be here, you don't want your new baby to be here, as the language goes, we have enough trouble with the slaves that are suffering right now in Egypt, and it ain't over till it's over, and, uh, you know, go back to your father's house. And she does do that. So that would be two sendings away. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But the language of Achashiluchab is certainly... Um, interesting in that particular regard. Now, um, to add to the what should I say confusing area, there is again the Mechilta says and Rashi quotes it somewhere. The Mechilta that uh, you know they when 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 Moshe married Tzipora, so uh, Yisro at that time was out a worshipper, and by the way he was a big deal. Moshe wasn't because he was a coin Midian and Moshe wasn't. And uh, they and they basically said like this: when your when your children are born, so half will be raised in my religion, half will be raised in your religion. The older one will be raised in my religion, the religion of the Midian, and the other one and the other one will be raised in your religion, whatever it is. Uh, not that we know exactly what Moshe's religion was, which I imagine. L- let's be perfectly honest. This goes on in America now. You have all these mixed marriages, you know, sadly and uh, all kind of mixed marriages, by the way. When I say mixed marriages, you know, uh, Jewish and not jewish you have uh, Orthodox and reform marrying each other, you have even mixed marriage. I was talking with my host about it this morning, you have mixed marriages within the Orthodox community. She's Chabad and he's Satmar, you know, something like that. Uh, and there are, sometimes what they end up doing, you know, there are many ways of dealing with how to raise the children. Uh, it's always a, a, a problem, of course. Uh, it's hard enough when both parents are on the same uh, page. But when they're not, what do you do? And one of the ways, not the only, you know, one way is to simply say like this. We're all going to follow the mother, period. Alternatively, we're all going to follow the father, period. I heard of a famous uh, Lich Rabbi, I don't want to say any name, and, you know, his family was killed. And they married the, after the war. And the kids all raised Satmar. That was the deal. And, uh, you know, so theres he's from a uh, covenant or something like that, And all his kids are and grandchildren now and so forth are Satmar. That works. You know, we're, we're, no, as long as it's a, a deal like that that everybody's on the same page but another way to deal with it is as simple as I guess you know, in the Chalak B'evladus will change the, the, the boys will be this and the girls, I've heard of such cases the boys will be Orthodox, the girls will be, you know Reform, or the other way around uh, or as you find in America sometimes you know, the, the, the older children will, will, will be Christians and the younger children will practice Judaism, whatever now as crazy as it sounds that's what Moshe did you know, over 3,000 years ago. At least according to the Mkhilta, Uh, You know, he was marrying the uh, a princess, uh, a, a, a noble woman from that culture, the daughter of Yisra, calling Midian. Yisra was a big deal. Uh, mind you, it doesn't say when Moshe beat up the guys that were trying to beat up the Yisr's daughters, you know, at the well, and as a result that married the daughter, it doesn't say, wow, we met this religious figure and he's convinced us of the virtues of monotheism and the falsities of paganism and now we've seen the light or it's says i've seen the light mm-hmm. and now i want to convert to his religion doesn't say anything like that at all isn't that the language the father said why would you come back early you know the story and they said An egyptian saved us and he said bring the guy home and uh, and he married the daughter which means that he didn't do it on some basis that he's Jewish or anything like that. That's the Pashup Shop. And yes, it was a. So Tsippar continued to be uh, an idol worshiper or or something along those lines. And uh, then you have a funny situation, which, you know, he basically said what they probably did in the Middle Eastern cultures from long ago you keep one child for your religion, I'll keep my, another child for my religion. And now you have a funny situation in which, if that's exactly what happens, then you have just a funny situation, which is. Bayeshma Yisro Shah a Sheridzilos uh uh some whatever the language is there. And uh, so now Yisro says, gee, I've undertaken now a uh, a theological revelation until now until now I believe in all the idols, even when my son-in-law was a was a uh, an Egyptian uh, monotheist or whatever. But now after I've heard about the Marcus and the Kriyas Yamsub and all the other things, Melchizedek, I see, I see your religion is the correct religion. Your God is the real God. Um, so it's a little bit awkward. Why do I say it's awkward? He brings the two sons and the wife. So one son comes in wearing felon. You know, that's the younger son who was raised in the beliefs of Moses. But the other one was raised differently. But now Yisro and everybody's had a complete change of mind revolution. And when he says, like this, now, when both kids the it, fell in. And where's that putzi pora? She was the mother, but she was instructed to raise one kid one way and the other kid the other way. It's, it's, it's a weird situation. Like I say, I'm sure you have it in America, and people in NCSY can tell you these kind of stories. But, you know, one sibling is eating tray and the other sibling is a kosher. It's, it's just a, a, a strange reality. And how do they adjust to that, you know? And, uh, you know, how's it? I'll, I'll tell you something interesting um, that just occurs to me. Uh, it was Gershon Eliezer, right? Gershon's the older, Eliezer's the younger one. So I think, I'm pretty sure about this. I wish I had the book in front of me. The older one was raised as a pagan, the younger one was raised as a as a monotheist, according to the Michelta. So, you know, the, that's what the, was the deal. So the older one was raised as a pagan. And then. Um, a couple years later uh, now he's raised not that way uh, you know he's a monotheist now he's the son of Moshe Arbenu that guy's son the one who who, who had a uh, messed up a screwed up uh, youth part of the time ra- raised as a monotheist part of the time raised as a pagan his son is the one who's the Koen- God of, of the Pesel isn't that right? isn't that interesting? in other words Later in the time of Kings, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, at the beginning of, in, in the book of Shoftim, I'm going by the Chazal now, they say that when you read the book of Shoftim, the judges, the two stories at the end actually are out of order, they happened at the beginning. Which means, the two big scandals that happened in the book of Shoftim, one is the uh, Pelegish given, the other one is the Pesalmicha. Pesel Pesalmicha Pesel Pesel is the idol, was set up by Micho, and uh, and was a very popular church for uh, many centuries, that we're told over there, uh, like a paganism, in the middle of Qal in, in Don, which is up north, you know, uh, near Tel Don. And um Yonason ben Gershom and the guy who was the high priest of that, of the Zor, the Micha, was Yonason ben Gershom and No, it's Yonason ben Gershom and Moshe. That was Gershom's son. So the, fa- the grandfather was Moshe, the son was Gershom, and his son was Yonason, who became the high priest, the coin god of this uh, idol place. So people always say, I guess, how could a grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, be a coming from Avodah Well, if he's Gershom son, I hear it. You understand? Because you already have from the upbringing of the of the father like fifty-fifty. So we don't know what the effect of being, uh, you know, participating in the Zorah, a midyan un, until a certain age, even a young age, had on, the, on on his formation. I'm just saying. Usually, that's not thrown into the equation. The Gemara has a famous story. I'm sure everybody knows in Baba somewhere that the reason uh, Yonason ben Gershon ended up being a high priest for the Pesel Micho was because he heard Moshe come in after a hard day uh, arguing with the Balabatim among the Jews like any rabbi in the world and he says better to worship Abu the better uh, than be a moniker in Kla which Chazal say means that Moshe was saying first of all I could hear shot Shat <laughs> says, if this is Judaism forget it but uh uh, th- what the Chazal say is what he meant was better to do uncongenial work so like a mathematician make him a historian a historian make a mathematician be uncongenial work um, rather than be a man in but he misunderstood and he thought of it as means idolatry but you don't have to come on to that he the and his father was raised 50-50 uh, and in the midst of all this is the mother so if you're Sipora, how do you do that? Uh, again, you, have, uh, you know, let's put it this way. If she was rich, let's say she was rich. She was the daughter of Coin Minion. So you could do like Rothschild. She had a kosher kitchen and a trade kitchen, <laughs> you know? And Gershon was raised in this kitchen, and, and Eliezer was raised in the other kitchen. It could be. Uh, the famous Rothschild, uh, what's his name? Edmund the Rothschild, who was the bankroller of early Zionism, you know, the Kovacian era, era in the 1890s and early 1900s. Who lavished money on on uh, on the yeshub in Palestine? Once upon a time, he wasn't from. He's the Rothschild from Paris. He wasn't from, but his wife was. She was the, she was a cousin. She was the daughter of the Rothschild from Frankfurt. The Rothschilds in Frankfurt were very religious. The Rothschilds in Paris were not. So, if if you have enough money, it's no problem. They always had two kitchens, two sets of kitchens. Tray for him, kosher for her. In fact, I remember, they visited Palestine. In 1914, just prior to the First World War, and Rothschild came on a big fancy Schmancy yacht, as you can imagine, he could afford probably the, the the fanciest yacht. And um, the the uh, I guess Zionist representatives, the Jewish representatives, came on the boat. and showed him around, and there was two kitchens on one end of the ship and the other end of the ship. And this is for me, and this is for my wife. You <laughs> know, this one is the kosher part. This is the non-kosher part. Uh, it reminds me of a famous story that I used to hear when I was young, when you saw Soviet Jewelry, about the Russian Jew, how's it going after remember this, who, when he wants to get out of Russia, he finally got a permit to leave to go to Israel, but how's he going to take his money with him? Uh, and then he comes up with the idea of gold teeth. And so when he gets to the airport, the KGB, so I guess, they open his bag, it's row after row after row of gold teeth. They say, what's this? The story goes, and he said, well, I'm what you call Orthodox, too. What's I got to do with anything? Well, this robe of gold teeth is what you call milchigs. And what about this about what you call flesheg. And what's this third robe of gold teeth? He said, what's it with something called parv? He said, and what about this? There's something called Passover. For Passover, you know, another one, milchig, and another one, flesheg, and another one, parv. And what about this one, the seventh one? He said, once in a while, I like to eat shrimp. You know, I like to eat treif. Now, that's a joke, of course. But with these richy rich people, they can afford to do this. Well, really, if you follow through with the mechilta, Moshe and his own kids were raised this way. right? It, it, it's strange. According to one Mahalach in the Michalta, God was angry at him. I'm going by memory here. And that's why the Mahalach wanted to kill him. You know, that famous weird story where they said they got to the uh, Malone and uh, and then Teporah gave the bris and all that. So there's different opinions and different scenarios of, of what that means because it's an extremely obscure passage, as we all know. And one is that Hashem was saying, "What do you, what, what, this child you give him for Avodah Zarah? You let him be raised not from." Uh, but then, what's the significance of the Tzipor giving him a circumcision? So the whole story is very uh, uh, confused, at least to me, right? It's more pal; it's, it's hidden. I don't know why this is the case, because why aren't we told more about the, you know, how Moshe Rabbeinu was actually married and raised his family, and all the rest of it? But we don't. All we know is this extremely uh, enigmatic phrase that I didn't see any of them before I should pick up after he dispatched her several times uh, her sendings and um, it kind of suggests that there's more to the story than we see uh, and and by the way I want you to think this through Tzipora doesn't have easy time because if this is the case if we follow the construction I just laid out in the Mechilta so he married her uh, they had kids he divorced her. That's the language you give her. Get shiluchel uh, means, and they send her away another time on some occasion. So basically, she didn't have a great situation with him. Let's say she. He, let's say he sends her away because he's going to Egypt. Fine, and then she comes back, and let's say this is immediately prior to Mount Torah. So, um, okay, fine. What? What are they together? Uh, three weeks? Four weeks? I mean, uh, they, they, they. They cross the Red Sea. On the seventh day of Pesach. And then they go three days, and they have the bitter waters, the Mara. And then, uh, maybe a Mechamas HaMolek. You know, I don't know when this happened. Let's say it's late in the month of Nisan. Uh, and then, uh, Yisro shows up. Uh, so let's say it's the beginning of E-R. So you have a, this E-R, Sivan. By Sivan, as you know, it's already getting Shavuos. It's already getting the Ten Commandments. That's in week's parsha. So, she and Moshe are together reunited for what, five weeks? And then comes Matan Torah. And then what happens? And then, uh, you know, Shuvu Lechem it go? V'ata Amoni Modi. That Hashem tells Moshe everybody can go back to be, to be with their wives, but not you. You stay with me. And this is what means that Moshe uh, stopped living with his wife because he had to be on 24-7 call uh, for Hashem, and uh, apparently that's antithetical to staying with the wife. Remember, he told everybody they have to separate from their wives three days prior to the mountain Torah. It's all in this week's parsha, right? Three days. Uh, I mean, it's all on this the week's parsha. And Moshe, we're told by tradition, was told by Hashem afterwards, uh, "You, I have other plans for." Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. When Shuas comes. So the Ten Commandments are pronounced. Okay, fine, I get that. And then what happens? And then, you know, it's over. And then Hashem said to Moshe, listen, you know, I didn't give you the Ten Commandments yet. I just spoke them, I pronounced them. It's going to take another 40 days before you actually get two tablets. And so you come up and spend 40 days and 40 nights with me. So yeah, if she wasn't name, have to count another 40 days. But again, he's not with his wife. And, of course, as we know, Moshe went through, did that. And then, he comes down, and um, it's the 17th of Tammuz. That was the day the Torah was supposed to be given, in the sense that the two tablets were supposed to be brought down by Moshe on Shavuot HaTammuz. But as you and I know, that was the day they made the golden calf. Instead, Moshe broke the luchos, and ended up dealing with the golden calf episode. Okay, and then what happened? And then Moshe went up for another 40 days, so he basically saw his wife, you know, uh, for about five weeks, at the most, from, as I say, something more or less like Rosh are in the first week of Sivan, and already three days before, the, the, the in, into Sivan, they're already like, I'll take I see, separate from his wife. And then, 40-40-40, he said the first 40 days which culminate in uh, Shavazah then Hashem is angry wants to kill everybody Moshe has to go up again to the mountain for 40 days and beg not, God not to kill the Jews so again he's away for her until Rosh Chodesh Elo and then he goes again 40 days isn't that the story? Uh, to, to, to ask God to give a Lucho Shnios, uh, culminating in what we call you and I call Yom Kippur the 10th day of uh, Tishrei so he had not seen his wife since 3 days before was until Yom Kippur at the most and even then Atah Amodi modi. And then he says to Moshe, you stay away from your wife you stay with me. Naturally, she was bitter about this. How would you feel? And this is the background of the story of the uh, incident with, uh, according to Chazal anyway, ac- with uh, you know, Aaron and Miriam speaking ill of Moshe. Uh, because they say that uh, Miriam ran into uh, Tziporah and she said, oh, you must be happy. You know, your husband's this. And she said... Oh, it had to do with Eldon and Maidot or something like that. They said people are trying to be prophets and, and basically it's supposed, I guess I don't envy anyone whose husband is a Navi and close to Hashem because it's tough on the wife, you know. I haven't seen him forever. And uh, this is Vayidaber and Miriam Moshe. you know. Uh, this, this is what they were talking about. And Hashem got very angry about this and hit Moshe, I mean, hit Aaron and Miriam with the leprosy, as we know the story, at least... Uh, Miriam with the leprosy. I mean, that's the background of the story. But you can totally hear where where was where coming from. She huh? says, I got married and I have a husband. I got married and I have a husband. Uh, you know, I didn't sign up for this. When I first married Moshe, you know, I was the daughter of Cohen Midyan, and uh, completely different circumstances. So, you know, I got, I got the short end of the stick. And, uh, I mean, you, you can hear this. Now, I'm only bringing this out to show you that if you take the trouble and that's what I'm inviting everybody to do, the Shabbos, if they if they feel like it, to uh, try to put together the dots, as they say, you know, to understand who was Moshe, and what was his, what was him and his wife, prior to, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Moshe becoming the burning bush, and, and prior to the Matan Torah, and afterwards, how did it work out, uh, you know, uh, with the rest of the 40 years over there, and did Moshe ever get back to his wife, and was she okay with this, or was she not okay with this, and how did this affect you know, Moshe's leadership and all, there was a, it's a very interesting uh, a question you and for some reason and uh, my time is running out but for some reason I don't know why this is the story that's told to us immediately prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments you understand? in other words the same way we don't know much about Moshe's personal life so it could be also why does the story have to tell you for example that Israel showed up with Tzipporah and the two sons. Well, why do I have to tell you that story? At the most, I could just tell you: Israel showed up, and was, uh, you know, blown away by the miracles of the Kriyas Yamsuf and all that. And then you would say the significance of the story would be that even uh, Gentiles, who heard about the, who were uh, uh, priests of the uh, Burezara, when they heard about the amazing thing that happened in Egypt, even they were moved to acknowledge the supremacy of the Rabbin Shalom. Yeah, I, I, I could hear that, okay? What are you throwing the wife and the children for? When we don't know anything about them, and you don't never, never hear about them again later. You know, why is there? Why, why is that there? And why is that told immediately prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments? Uh, there must be, I don't know the answer to this, must be that somehow it's essential to understand the story of the Aserah uh, by understanding who Moshe was uh, at the time that the, this was given. And, you know, perhaps it's to tell you that he had to abandon everything that was near and dear to him and throw himself totally into this uh, cause to be the leader of Kali and the intermediary between them and God. And, you know, perhaps leadership has high uh, sacrifices. I don't know. That's just a speculation on my part. You know, if you're a rabbi, you need a pulpit thing tomorrow. You can can talk about that if you feel like it. But uh, it is a very good question to me. Why are we told this little glimpse of biographical information immediately prior to, juxtaposed to the giving of uh, Harsinai and told the story in such an enigmatic manner that it says shiluchah. Why does it simply say achashiluchah? Shiluchah "Shiluchah" means that they had multiple uh, separations, perhaps even multiple divorces, or something like that. And, you know, there's something, you know, hidden there that I can't get at this year. I'm hoping that maybe if I, uh, lucky, maybe by next year, uh, you know, something will come to me, or maybe one of you smart people out there who has a better idea than I do, can write me what you think about it. But anyway, I have to get ready to give a talk over here. I'm going to be speaking tonight here in Boca, as I said the other day, at the home of my host, the palatial home of my host, uh, Dr. Mrs. Uh, Zavradin on uh, Hollyhock. Uh, if you're interested, go go to my show website or you look up the, where it says Lectures and Trips, it has the sign over there, the exact, I'm, I'm sorry to say I don't know the I think it's 222, Two five four twos and a five. Uh, hollyhock Trail, I, I, I think. And then tomorrow I'll be, Merset speaking at the Young Israel here. Uh, I'll be Rabovsky show, uh, doing the Drush in the Morning, about anti-Semitism and the Rambam. Hope to talk about the Geras over there. Uh, in the afternoon, I'm doing something. They changed the title, but basically, and I don't remember what the title is, but I hope to I hope to make the case, this, I'm giving a speech tomorrow that I've never done before, um, in which I'm going to try to make the argument that a lot of the halachic crises that occur in the 20th century, either from the Holocaust or from the intermarriage and all the other uh, social uh, issues we have, which have presented such interesting halachic questions to the big post in the 20th century, the uh, solutions or the precedents for them occur in the 15th century. In the 15th century, if you know where to look in the Shalas and Shabbos, I think it's very interesting. But we'll see how it plays out. And Shalas Shodes, I hope to talk about uh, rationalism in the interpretation of scriptures, how uh, the Chazal are portrayed on Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, so I hope it'll be three interesting topics if you're intellectually inclined. And uh, with that, I wish you all a good Shabbos from Sunny Boca.